find ourselves walking a new path, a path that Jesus wants us to walk. And so this morning I want to look at three indelible footprints that David leaves us in the psalm, the 105th Psalm. He leaves us three distinct indelible footprints. And that first one is give thanks and remember his wonders. Give thanks and remember his wonders. Verses 4 and 5 say from a New Living Translation, search for the Lord and for his strength Continually seek him, remember his wonders he has performed. I'm not sure we always recognize what God is doing in our lives because some of the wonders he does are so simple. We do recognize those big things. I recognize the wonder of salvation in 1978 when someone shared with me the true story of Jesus. And the wonder of salvation, the wonder of knowing that I would be in heaven for eternity, grabbed a hold of me in a way that I will never be able to explain. But I know it's true. I know it's true because God's word says says it's true. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died and rose again from the dead, you shall be saved. It's as simple as that. It's not overly complicated. And I remember the first few or three or four years that I was a believer. That wonder of that knowledge drove me to do weird things. And I mean weird. Locking people in the sound room at my store and not letting them out till I shared the whole gospel with them and they'd only really come to buy a record. Or picking up hitchhikers and locking the doors of my car and even though they might be only going 20 or 30 miles or kilometers, not letting them out till I shared the full story of Jesus. The wonder of salvation grabbed me so intensely that I wanted everyone to know it. But you know, God looks after us in little things, little wonders that we don't often recognize. Or if we do, we kind of think it had something to do with us and not necessarily Him. I remember my early days with Youth for Christ in Saskatoon as an executive director. And I remember a couple of months after I took on that position, the campus life director, who was, who was the director of Youth for Christ going into the high schools, asked me if I would consider being a keynote speaker at their annual three-mountain, three-day ski trip over New Year's. I said, sure. I can do that. But you know me now well enough that my philosophy of life is you need to look like you know what you're doing even if you don't. I'd never skied. 
but I needed to look like a skier. So I, my son was about 13 at the time, so I, I asked him, um, do you want to come along? He said, yeah, that'd be cool, Dad. So I said, well, we better go down to the store and get some equipment. So we headed down to the sports store, and we gathered up new ski outfits and ski pants and goggles and toques and gloves and skis and poles and ski carriers and boot carriers, and we piled it all on the desk. And the clerk there started to add it up, and it was way above my pay scale. I said, oh, we really can't afford that. Is there some way that we can buy some used stuff? Do you know where we can do that? And this particular clerk said, oh, yes, in a couple of weeks, the ski patrol are going to have a ski swap at Aiden Bowman High School. Their gym is going to be filled with used equipment. Good. So I'll buy the snowsuits. Save the rest of our money hoping we could get it at the ski swap. So here we went down to Aiden Bowman very early in the morning because we were told hundreds of people would be there. It didn't open to 9. I think my son and I were there about 7.30. And we were the only ones there till a quarter to 9. But we rushed in first, and the place was just filled with ski equipment. Skis and boots and toques and gloves and goggles and you name it. And I thought, all right, this is good. So I'd been doing some reading the week before I went, and I read an article in I don't know what sports magazine or what ski magazine, but you needed to have different sizes, sizes skis. And to determine the size you needed, you would just raise your hand like this, and if the ski fit up to here, that was the right size. I didn't read that that meant cross-country skiing. <laughs> so sure enough, I found a pair. I walked around the gym like this, and I found a pair. They are called 220s. Now my son, who is more intelligent than me, always has been, he decided to ask the ski patrol guy. And the guy said to him, well, with your height and everything, you're probably 130s, 135s. Not me. So I found them. Then we went looking for boots. And there were all kinds of boots there. I bought myself a kind of a lime green snowsuit. So I'm, 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 I don't care about size, I'm just looking for lime green boots. And I found a pair that were black with some lime green stripes. I bought those. I bought the gloves. And on the way out, on the table, there was a video on learn to ski. So we took that home. So we got home that day, and my son and I would be in the living room watching the video and kind of doing all the stuff the video said. And I was ready. New Year's Eve came, 6 o'clock. Met at the, at, the, at the high school, two buses of teenagers. My son and I get out of our car, and I pull the ski, these big skis and his skis off the top of my car, and I got them over my shoulder, and I'm walking to the bus with these monster 220s. And the kids are going, wow, <laughs> that guy's good. And I put them in under the storage. Well, we headed off at 6 o'clock, New Year's Eve, and we got to about Lloyd Minister, became New Year's, uh, New Year's about 12 o'clock on the Alberta side. So we did lots of hugs and shake hands and 
lots of warm and fuzzy things for New Year's Eve. And then we drove for about 15 minutes and did it again, because now, now we're in Alberta. But we all dozed off, and I woke up about 6.30 in the morning at the bottom of Panorama Ski Hill. You see, the biggest hill we have in Saskatchewan is Blackstrap. But this was no Blackstrap. This was a monster. I couldn't even see the top of it. The clouds were covering it. And I thought, all the kids were rushing out of the bus to the lodge. I thought to myself, if I can just get loaded, get my skis on, get up to the top of that hill before they do, and get one run down, I'll have it made. So they rush into the lodge, I put my boots on in the bus, I got myself all decked up, I got these two 20s over my shoulder, and I walked to the chairlift. Didn't know much about chairlifts, could just see, I just thought, you sat on it and went up the hill, and your skis were on the ground. But this was a big chairlift, and they had what they call a triple line and a single line, because the chair holds three people. So the chair operator would take them and put them on their chair, and when there's only two in the triple line, he'd call for a single. So I'm shuffling along, and sure enough, he says, single, here I am. And I turned to shuffle over, and I got in between these two gorgeous girls. I think they're university girls. I'm feeling really good. And so we're starting to go, and the chairlift is all kind of trees along the side of it, and we're going. All of a sudden, the chair starts to go up. I don't do well with heights. These girls, I think, knew it, because if you've ever been skiing, they put a bar down that you rest your skis on, and it stops you from slipping out. They didn't put the bar down. I didn't know there was one. <laughs> so we're starting to go up, and so I'm getting very nervous. The girls automatically recognized I was a rookie, so they decided to swing the chair. <laughs> I just immediately grabbed the back of the chair with all I could have, and I had this silly grin on my face, you know, and we're heading up there, and I got these two tens weigh quite a bit, and my sun-eye snowsuit was now getting cold, and the seat of the chairlift was cold, and my bum kept slipping off. And I'd come back, and I don't know how, it was a long time. And then all of a sudden I saw this sign. I still didn't see the top of the mountain. But I saw this sign, prepare to dismount, lift your tips. Oh, okay. So I, take my, I got my tips going straight up and down. I don't know what it means, but I'm lifting them. My legs are straight out. My two tens are straight up and down. And, and they usually put that sign about 15 poles before you even dismount. My legs now are burning. I, I'm about ready to die. I still haven't made it through the cloud. But all of a sudden, we got through the cloud, and yes, the dismount area was there. But it was just so quick. My, my skis straight up and down. The bottom of my skis hit that dismount and just popped me straight up. And I just kind of slid down right into the bush. Two girls went their way. I thought, huh, not so bad. Pulled myself out of that bush, got myself lined up to go down the hill, 
Got the old snowplow position going good. And I started off. I was going. And I thought, hmm, I can go a little faster. This is not so hard. And I picked that one ski up and put it next to the other one. And ever skied like that? Off I went. Two tens flying down the hill. I am totally out of control. I mean totally. I, I don't know. I, mean, I lost my goggles. My toque had gone. I was going so fast down the hill that the ice, that the tears coming out of my eyes were freezing on my cheek. And I knew what was coming because I was going right straight down by the chairlift. I knew I had to make a right-hand turn. And I said, uh-uh, no. Because I knew if I didn't make a right-hand turn, I was going to run into those, uh, um, what do they call it, moguls. I said, uh-uh. So I fell. I just laid over. I lost everything. I mean, it's really bad when you lose your boots, your skis, your poles, your hat. I lost everything. But the most amazing thing was at the top of that hill before I started, somehow coming up the chairlift, when I grabbed the back of the chair, I poked the lens out of my glass. And I only had one lens on there. And I recognized that at the top of the hill when I put my goggles down because my finger poked in my eye. And I thought, and this is what I thought. I thought, well, Lord, I know you can find that lens. These are a new pair of glasses, and we really can't afford another pair. And off I went, and then I had my tumble. When I was screaming down that hill of people on the chairlift saying, look at that. And all of a sudden, I rolled over, and I lost it. Like I said, I lost everything. People were coming down behind me. Is this yours? I said, is it green? Yes, and that's mine. <laughs> and they were bringing me skis and boots and poles and gloves. Well, I got all of back together, and I got myself turned in the right direction so I wouldn't have to go down them moguls. And I, I got one ski on. I couldn't get the other one on. And I was scared to pick it up because it might, we just might take off. And so I was gradually trying to get it out of the snow gently, and right at the footprint of where my boot went in the snow was my lens. Was my lens. God wants us to thank him for the wonders that he does in our life, from the simplest to the greatest. He wants us to thank him for the wonders that he does. Secondly, God, give thanks and remember his covenant. God wants us to remember the covenant that he has with us. Let me take you back in history, in biblical history, to the first book of the Bible. And we all know the story of Noah. We know the story of the flood. We know the story that God had become discouraged with humankind. And the only, only person or family he could find righteous was Noah. And because he found him righteous, he chose Noah to build an ark so that one family would carry on after the judgment that he was going to 
flood upon the world. And you know the story, Noah and his family and the animals. But then the flood ended. Noah came to a place where he, know, he now knew he could leave the boat. And here I want to read what God said. Then God told Noah and his sons, I hereby, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants. And with, all, and with all the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, every living creature on earth, yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. Then God said, I am giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come, I have placed a rainbow in the clouds. It is a sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. Do we understand when we see that rainbow what that represents? It's not what our scientists would tell us that is a prism or a prism of light going through water or droplets, that may be how God is doing, but the rainbow is a sign to you and I that God has given us a covenant that he will never destroy us and he will prepare a way for us to be righteous in his sight. And that's the covenant he set with Noah. I will never do this again. I give you a covenant. And he gave us the rainbow as a witness, but he gave us Christ to set us free from our sin. To rise us up out of the darkness and take us into the light. Give thanks and remember the covenant of God. And when you see a rainbow next time, and my wife and I had the privilege of coming back not too long ago from, from uh, the family outing we had, the, the Hellard reunion, and it was a terrible rainstorm almost from the time we left Kelowna till we got to almost Calgary. But there, where, there was this brilliant rainbow that covered the whole sky when we were coming back. And I never thought about that rainbow till I studied this week. And I almost wept in my office when I said, thank you, Jesus, for the rainbow. Thank you for reminding me of your covenant with me. That because I'm a follower of Jesus, I will not perish. I will have eternal life because of your covenant. I may break my covenant with you, but God will never break his covenant with me. Give thanks and remember his covenant and you know, not only has God given us a covenant, but then he has given us his word where we can make covenants with him. What are some of those? What are some of those covenants that, that we can make with him? Ecclesiastes says this. Whoops. Getting used to this now. When you make a promise to God... Don't delay in following, three, in following through. 
Keep all your promises you make him. John 13, 34 says this. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. God has given us a book, a love letter. And in this love letter, he gives us opportunities to make a covenant with him. His covenant with us is already made. But he asks us to make covenants with him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. I make that covenant with God. I love you with all my heart and all my soul and all my might. And so, when we think of thanksgiving, remember his covenant. And finally, give thanks and remember his people. Give thanks and remember his people. Verse 15 says, verse 14 and 15 in Psalm 105, let me read that for you. 14 and 15. Yet he, being God, did not, did not any, let, let anyone oppress his people. He warned kings on their behalf, do not touch my chosen people and do not hurt my people. When we become a believer, when we are part of the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ, we are one of his chosen people. We become part of that kingdom family. And God has promised that no one is going to harm us, no one is going to take us, no one is going to destroy us from the relationship we have with him, not even ourselves. When we have a relationship with Jesus, he keeps his promise. And we are his people. And he says to each of us, do not harm my people. You know how often we not intentionally, but sometimes carelessly, harm each other. Not because we wanted to do, but we, we, just, we just make some judgments we shouldn't make. And when we harm each other in this church family, we are harming God's people. Because we are God's people. And so when we remember God, remember we're his family. There's that old expression that I've heard many times as a pastor. You can't choose your friends. You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your brothers and sisters. And we are all brothers and sisters, not chosen by us, but chosen by God. Chosen by God to be under the umbrella of the Holy Spirit, to walk in love and care, and to encourage each other. And the reality of that truth coming true in our lives and in our actions, when people walk through the doors of this church and we're loving each other, they want to be part of that. Because the world is not a loving place. It's a 
May the fittest of the survival take place. So, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving shouldn't be one time a year. It should be, should be all year. Let me introduce you to this gentleman. His name is Captain Eddie Rickenbacker. And he was, he was a, a, a courier in the United States Army during the Second World War. And he was on a B-17 bomber with a message to be delivered directly to John MacArthur. And as a courier, uh, he, he had to go there. It, wa it wasn't dispersed in any radio or, or any kind of telecom. It had to be delivered personally. And while he was flying in this airplane to go to New Guinea, they lost contract with, contact with the radio, and the plane went off course, and they saw themselves eventually in a place where they would have to uh, land the plane in the ocean. And so they did. And this all survived in a five-foot by nine-foot raft. And as they were on that raft for all those days, their food rations ran out about seven or eight days into, the, into, the, into their um, raft. Their fresh water ran out, and starvation was right around the corner for them. And they were beginning to become weak. He talks in his article, or in his book, about sharks that were 10 feet long trying to bash their raft. But he says, then one day, we were all dozing off. We'd had a service in the morning. We had prayed the Lord's Prayer together, and we asked God to lead us. And we were all dozing off in the afternoon because the sun was hot, and he said, I had my hat pulled down over my eyes to shade myself from the sun, and I felt something land on my shoulder. He said, I didn't dare move because I believed it was a seagull. And so he opened his eyes, and his shipmates at this time, by their face he could, he could see it was a seagull. And they all knew that seagull was food. And so he gently put his hand up and just wrapped his hand around the seagull with a seagull not giving any effort to go away. And of course they brought the seagull down, skinned it, and ate the meat, and kept the intestines so that they could fish off the side of their raft. Let me read the conclusion. You know now, they made it back safely. But he never forgot something. Because every Friday evening, the people in Florida on this deserted beach see an old man walking, white-haired, bushy-eyed, slightly bent. He has a bucket in his hands filled with shrimp, which he feeds the seagulls to remember that, that on that day, long past gone, a seagull 
gave himself up without struggle like manna in the wilderness. And every Friday, he goes to this beach and feeds the seagulls. You see, Thanksgiving for him was every week. Was every week. So as we celebrate Thanksgiving today, may we bury it in our hearts that we want to celebrate continually. Choir is going to sing a final song for us. And so uh, I just ask you just to remain seated and listen to the beautiful voices. <laughs>